All right, I'm excited today. We're about to kick off our new study on the harmony of the Gospels. And uh, before we get into the lesson this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just praise You and thank You for again for another day to come into Your house to praise and worship You and to open up Your Word and to learn more about You, that we might fall more in love with You. And Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit will be present with us, guide us into the truth of Your Word, help us, Lord, to uh, understand and to apply. And Father, I just pray that You'll give us an excitement, a hunger and thirst for Your Word, that we uh, it might compel us to continue uh, our search in Scripture and to, to learn more about You. Father, we just pray that You'll just uh, bless this time of study and help us to be good students of Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I am uh, excited about this study. As we, uh, Of course, I'm always excited about kicking off a new study and then continuing it. Uh, but uh, this, uh, this study on the harmony of the Gospels, uh, we're going to begin uh, looking and uh, collaborating, if you would, the four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And... Uh, so, in uh, by way of uh, scriptural biblical text, I turn your attention to John chapter twenty. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses there, just as a as a text for our study for today. And of course, this is going to be the introduction of the study today. Uh, the harmony of the gospels. The introduction basically is all we're going to get into today. But in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, John is uh, inspired to write, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. I also want you to look at uh, the last verse of that book in John 21 in verse 30 or 25 and he says there and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written amen now we see uh, as John writes here we quickly come to understand that everything about Jesus' life is not recorded. So you need to understand that as we begin to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we collaborate the, the different writings and the truths that we are going to learn, this is not an exhaustive study of the life of Christ because there's so many things that are left out of Jesus' life However, what is recorded, the Holy Spirit deemed it the most important for us to have in order for us to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ enough to where we believe in Him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and we can come to Him in faith knowing that when we believe in Him, we can have eternal life by believing in His name and His work on the cross. Also, John says that there, if everything were to have been written about Christ, he says, 
even the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written. So, as we study the Gospels, as I read the Gospels, and I envision in my mind how busy the Lord Jesus was during His public ministry. In fact, there are several places that I have read where Jesus had to just sneak away, if you would, uh, to the mountain at night, away from the crowds, just so He could rest. He even encouraged His disciples several times, you need to come away from the crowd, get away from the busyness of ministry, and uh, revitalize yourself. You know, there there can be such a thing as getting too busy and burning out. And the Lord Jesus Christ uh, taught that. Uh, to his disciples, you need time to revamp, if you would, to re-energize yourself for the ministry. There are times of prayer, there's times of Bible study, there are times of just getting away uh, out from the crowds and, uh, and, and different things that demand your time, uh, and Jesus taught that. But we find that even at that, he was even busier than we can even imagine. Because he did so many more things that uh, were not recorded, taught so many, so much more than is recorded, and yet the things that are recorded are so profound and powerful and life-changing. If we will but just receive that into our life, so why do a study of the harmony of the gospels? Because the four Gospels together provide us a more complete picture of the Lord Jesus Christ than any one of them could by itself. We, not long ago, how many of you were in the class when I taught the book of John? It just a few years ago. So we, we went through the book of John verse by verse and, and took a couple of years to go through that as well. I think every study I do is a couple of years. I don't know if I can ever do a short study. Uh, but, uh, you know, we go through the Gospel of John and we learn so much about Him being portrayed as the Son of God. But that was just one aspect of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we find that uh, uh, the different Gospels present Christ in a different way to different audiences. And that that is important as we begin to study and we read the Gospels to identify who the audience is and what the, the truth, the, the theme of the book that is being written. Matthew primarily presents Jesus Christ to a Jewish audience. Mark introduces Jesus Christ to the Roman populace. Luke addresses primarily the Greeks concerning uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John, of course, proclaims Jesus Christ to the New Testament church. And although, uh, although they tell us almost everything we need to know about the life of Jesus, they are not true biographies. Rather, they are theological documents telling us who Jesus is and why He is important. They focus on Jesus' person and His teachings, and they give considerable attention to His death and resurrection and the surrounding events of those things. So, let's look at the, at the Gospels. What are their purpose? What is the reason for their writing? The first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
they are referred to as synoptic gospels. This means they view the life of Jesus Christ from a common perspective. If uh, if you have read those three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will remember that there's a lot of similarities uh, recorded in those three gospels. Uh, after their various and differing Uh, introductions of the Lord Jesus they each recount the ministry of John the Baptist they each one recount the temptation of Jesus his ministry in Galilee his journey to and ministry in Judea his final week in Jerusalem and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus all those the synoptics record many similarities they still provide their own unique presentation of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus and together they offer a more complete picture of Christ the uh, probably the the word that we might use uh, today in our contemporary language they each one put their spin on the life of Christ they present him in a different way to approach their unique audience that they're addressing However, the Gospel of John differs from the synoptics in several ways. John uh, provides the uh, uh, thematic discourses by Jesus rather than the shorter sayings recorded in the synoptics. Uh, John also includes a more theological reflection of the meaning of the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, do you understand the thematic Discourses, what that means is the things that Jesus taught. Uh, I am the bread of life. He he teaches what it means that he is the bread of life, the living water, the light of the of the world. Those uh, uh, things that are uh, he presents the themes uh, to that. Uh, so what are let's look at the purposes of the various gospels. Each of the four Gospels introduces the Lord Jesus in differing ways depending on their intended audiences. Many scholars believe that the Gospel of Matthew to have been written early in the uh, uh, 60 AD. Matthew, who is also surnamed Levi according to Mark chapter 2 and verse 14, was a Jewish tax collector or a publican uh, as it mentions too in the scripture for the Roman government uh, Matthew begins his gospel account by addressing the genealogy of Jesus in order to convince his Jewish readers that Jesus of Nazareth is the true promised Messiah and King whose lineage traces back to King David and Abraham now Matthew being a publican or a tax collector uh, really speaks of the grace of God and the, the, the compassion of Christ and His transforming work in the life of an individual because a publican or a tax collector was regarded in that day much like they are today. What do you think when you hear IRS? Uh, that's, what, that's what they thought about Matthew. Okay, But worse. But worse. Um, and they had a reputation that uh, they were uh, 
dishonest, most of them. But within the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is referred to as the Son of David more than the other three Gospels combined to convince His readers that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. Having the designation of Jesus being the Son of Abraham gains the Jews' attention to the promise within the Abrahamic covenant that through the promised Messiah, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So Matthew, remember, he addresses the Jewish audience. He is primarily concerned with convincing the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's why he brings out all this in the... Uh, if you, as you read the book of Matthew... If you'll take a highlighter or something and highlight the phrase, so it is fulfilled, or that it might be fulfilled, to fulfill the this or that scripture. He refers to that over and over again, pointing his Jewish readers who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. So... Matthew quotes and alludes to the Old Testament Scriptures more than all other New Testament writers, identifying Jesus as being the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. I guess if I stayed with my notes, you would have already known that. I wouldn't have to say it twice. So, Matthew's writing is characterized by its inclusion of people outside of Judaism with the recording of the Lord's commission for His followers to go into all the world and make disciples. Interestingly, the, gospel, the only gospel to include the word church is Matthew. I think that's interesting. So, now I understand that uh, this is probably not the, the best kind of lesson that you are used to with me, but uh, I think it's... Uh, Important that we lay a foundation of where we're at uh, in this study and where we're going. So, let's look at Mark. John Mark was the writer of the Gospel of Mark. His mother's name was Mary. He was a cousin to Barnabas, the, the sidekick, uh, the companion of the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. And he was a close friend and possible convert of the Apostle Peter. John Mark was a young man who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but failed to complete that trip. The biography of Mark uh, provides encouraging proof that one failure does not mean the end of our usefulness. And I like that. Uh, you know, many times we think that uh, we have been given a, a mission or a ministry or something important to do for the Lord and we sometimes walk away thinking we have failed at that and we, uh, and we think that uh, God can no longer use us. But be encouraged as we study the Bible, you'll find that there are a lot of people that have done that recorded in Scripture and yet return to the Lord and God uses them in a mighty way. So as long as there's breath and there's life in your body, there's still that opportunity for you to... Uh, be used of God. It is uh, widely believed that Mark wrote his gospel account in the early 50s A.D. and received much of his information from the Apostle Peter's eyewitness accounts of the events. The apostolic authority of Peter 
provided credence to Mark's writings. Mark immediately announces the Lord Jesus to be the Son of God as declared by the prophets of old. Mark's primary audience was Roman citizenry who worshipped many gods and needed to understand that Jesus was the one true God. The Gospel of Mark emphasizes the actions of the Lord Jesus rather than His words with the word translated at once or immediately. Those words occurring more than 40 times. The theme of His book, the book of Mark, is Christ the Servant. So uh, each one has a different theme, different audience, different perspective. Let's look at Luke for just a moment. Give was some thought. Mark also, pardon me, was Mark also a Jew? Yes, yes ma'am. Okay, and how did he get his audience of Romans? They ruled them, they ruled the Jewish yes, ma'am. people then? Right. They, okay. they were, uh, uh, Judea was under the Roman rule throughout that time. And, uh, he he wrote primarily. He was a missionary to the Romans, basically. That's way a good way to look at that. Luke, or Doctor Luke, was the beloved physician. He was a doctor and close friend and companion of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul kept him in business. You know, he he really utilized the the uh, expertise of Dr. Luke on many occasions. Paul, if you read his life, uh, had many occasions to go to the emergency room and Dr. Luke was there to help him. I mean, he had to bandage him up and sew him up and stitch him up and medicate him and all that kind of stuff, I think, all the time. So Paul, God gave uh, Paul his own personal doctors and Dr. Luke was him. But Luke is believed to be the only Gentile writer of any part of the New Testament. It seems that he was a medical missionary evangelizing alongside Paul. Luke is regarded as the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He was apparently with Paul at the time of Paul's execution, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Luke possibly wrote his Gospel account around 50 A.D., uh, during the two-year prison imprisonment of Paul in Caesarea. The primary audience of Luke was all Gentiles, even though his writing was dedicated to Theophilus. Luke's writings displayed unusual attention to the medical matters, increased attention to the announcement, birth, and childhood of both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus, uncommon interest in individuals, poverty, and wealth, and pertinent insight to the prominent place of women. Luke presents Christ as the Son of Man, emphasizing the humanity of Christ. So, uh, so far, through the Synoptic Gospels, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is presented as the King, uh, the fulfillment, uh, King of the Jews, uh, the servant, Christ the servant, and now uh, presenting the humanity of Christ. Why do you think it was important that the humanity of Christ be stressed? So he could relate to all the people he was preaching to, or right. teaching. Right. You know, not, you know, people, 
when you say God, He's God in the flesh, it's hard to relate to that. But you present the humanity aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you begin to relate. Because you will find that in, in the book of Luke, many times it's stressed, you know, it's tired, uh, thirsty, different things like the human aspect of Jesus is portrayed. But also another important aspect of the humanity of Christ being presented and, and emphasized is that He had to be a human, a man, in order to die for men uh, to be the supreme, eternal, once and only sacrifice for our sins. Man had to pay, sinless man had to pay the price for guilty man uh, in order for us to have uh, a relationship with the living God. So he presents the humanity of Christ. Each of the synoptic gospels end with the great commission of resurrected Lord Jesus to his followers to carry the gospel message throughout the world, converting the lost and making disciples. This was followed by the ascension of Christ into heaven and his disciples rejoicing and praising God. And I thought that was uh, very interesting in that all three gospels ended basically the same way, maybe a little different wording but they still ended with the same message to carry the gospel of Christ out to the world, evangelizing the world, bringing the lost to Christ, and then uh, presented the, the risen, resurrected Savior ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, uh, indicating that the, the, the work of redemption was complete and final uh, through His uh, work at the cross. So let's look a little bit for, at the Gospel of John. Any questions on the synoptics? Uh, yes, sir. Why do they think he wasn't Jewish? Because there's several times in the Bible, it seems like Paul says, uh, and, and I, I've, I've read it and I had questions about it and I've heard other preachers have questions about it. He had a, he had a Roman name, or wasn't a Jewish name, but other than that, there's no fact that he wasn't Jewish. Because, uh, I mean, haven't you heard a lot of, of people say that the Bible was written by Jews for yes. Jews? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, and I, primarily I, that's I, I true. cannot you know, find anywhere where say, or, or any historical evidence that he wasn't, wasn't a Jew. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I can't understand that. It's the, sort, sort of a you know old tale been handed down. Right. The, uh, the guys I read under didn't indicate uh, the answer to your question, other than they have determined through other writings that he was uh, apparently a Gentile convert. Yeah, you know, just like they say, Paul didn't write Hebrew. Well, like back in the old time, everybody knew he wrote Hebrews. Again, you can't Uh, prove that. Peter even said in his His second book, as, you know, talking about we need to listen to Paul, as you have been written to before. Right. So that was Hebrew. Uh, You know, I mean, there's a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of controversy about who the 
the human author writer was of the book of Hebrews, but uh, can't prove it either way other than the fact that it's uh, inspired scripture. Right. And that's all that's important. That's all that's important. God used somebody to write it, so it really doesn't matter whom. Yeah. So, but, uh, I don't know the answer to your question. So, yes. So, Robert, uh, since Luke deals with the human, you know, human aspect of Jesus, then he would be the only book that goes into the part about the virgin birth relating to Mary. He go. He well, Matthew mentions it, but Luke goes into greater detail. Right. He's the one that we look to concerning what we call the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 about the shepherds and the wise men and, and uh, the uh, uh, being dedicated in the temple uh, after eight days and, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, there's a uh, greater detail given out of Luke. Right, because he's got to show the human aspect but show that he's more than just a human. Right, right. That's right. The angels announcing his birth and all that. That's right. good. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Good stuff. All right. The writer of the Gospel of John is identified in the book only as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was a Palestinian Jew who was an eyewitness to the events of Christ's life. He displays knowledge of Jewish customs of the land of Palestine and he includes details of an eyewitness uh, of eyewitnesses John the apostle was the son of Zebedee and Salome the younger brother of James he was a Galilean who apparently came from a fairly well to do home though often painted centuries later as infeminate his real character was such that he was known as a son of thunder he was also a fisherman. Uh, he and James and Peter, they were all, I think, uh, partners in fishing business. Uh, and uh, James and John, their father, was a pretty wealthy fisherman because he even had servants to help them in their fishing industry. And you'll find as you read the, the Gospels that when Jesus called James and John to follow him they left their nets and all their fishing business behind to the father and the servants uh, to take care of so <clears throat> they weren't really from a poor family I think they were very prominent John he played a leading role in the work of the early church in Jerusalem uh, and later went to Ephesus and was exiled exile to the island of Patmos. He was also at one time a pastor of the church of Ephesus as well. Gospel of John was written uh, between 85 and 90 AD. This is probably the last uh, the, the latter part of uh, his life uh, after uh, you know, he wrote the gospel and then he wrote the book of Revelation. So uh, and this is the most theological of the four Gospels. This Gospel deals with the nature and person of Christ and the meaning of faith in Him. John's presentation of Christ as the divine Son of God is seen in the titles given to Him in the book. And by the way, uh, my 
information on the Gospel of John is probably going to be repetitive to those of you that heard me teach the Gospel of John, but we also have new people in here, so I felt the need to uh, review this. The titles given Jesus in the book, the Word of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, Lord and God. These titles indicate uh, the deity of Christ. His deity is also asserted in the series of I Am claims. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. In the other I Am statements, Christ made implicit and explicit claims to be the I Am, or the Yahweh of the Old Testament. These are the strongest claims to deity that Jesus could have made. And I want you to understand something. The Jewish leaders in Jesus' day very well understood His claim to be the promised Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. They understood that. You'll find that time and time again. The reason that they grew envious and the reason they uh, wanted to uh, send Him to be crucified was because He claimed Himself to be God. And so they understood very clearly His claims. The Gospel of John contains no parables. This is things that set John off from the synoptics. The Gospel of John contains no parables, only seven miracles, five of which are not recorded elsewhere. In many personal interviews, John emphasizes the physical actuality of Jesus' hunger, thirst, weariness, pain, death, and death as a defense against the Gnostic denial of Jesus' true nature. The the term Gnostic, G-N-O-S-T-I-C. They taught that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, was not really human. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, they say that the deity of Christ came upon Him um, at birth and left Him when He died on the cross. Uh, but, you know, that... He just, they just embodied in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But the Scriptures teach us, the Bible teaches, John teaches us that Jesus was the incarnate Word of God, and we'll see that uh, as we get into that. According to the Apologetic Study Bible, we read these notes. Many of these themes can be explained by the situation in which John's churches found themselves. The minority of the believers from the Jewish backgrounds by this time were largely ostracized by the local synagogues and may have begun to wonder if they had made the right choice in following Jesus. John's gospel provided them with the much ammunition in their quest to evangelize their non-Jewish, uh, their non-Christian Jewish friends and family and encourage them in their belief that Jesus is the true fulfillment of all the central hopes and aspirations of Judaism. 
Ephesus, however, was also being infiltrated by the early Gnostic, Gnostic teacher, Serenitus, uh, who taught a form of Docetism, the belief that Christ only seemed to be human. Hence, John emphasized Jesus' full deity and humanity. Uh, John Phillips provides this insight. John's Gospel has no genealogy, no manger scene, no boyhood, no baptism, no temptation, no mount of transfiguration, no Gethsemane, no scribes, no lepers, no publicans, no parables, and no demoniacs. Matthew had written primarily for Jews, Mark for Romans, Luke for Greeks. John had written for the church. John's statement of purpose is clearly stated in uh, John 20, verses 30 and 31. We read that in the beginning. That And truly Jesus did many other things in the presence of His disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And understand, that's the entire purpose of Scripture. All of Scripture. All the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and the Redeemer of mankind. John's Gospel is sometimes called the Book of the Seven Signs, since the author chose seven sign miracles to reveal the person and mission of Jesus. He uses the turning water into wine, the cure of the nobleman's son, the cure of the paralytic, the feeding of the multitude, the walking on the water, the giving of the sight to the blind, and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Other important themes in the book include the Holy Spirit, Satan, and the world, and the Word, and the new birth. So the Gospel of John concludes with a call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and faithfulness to Him. John also addresses the enormity of the ministry of Jesus Christ with a statement, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John's Gospel ends different than, than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John and I'm thankful for this, he is the one that includes the uh, reconciliation of the Apostle Peter back to the Lord Jesus after Peter denies him three times. If you recall in John chapter 20, uh, Jesus met the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, shore of Galilee, there providing them breakfast and, and asked Peter three times, do you love me? Three times Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. You know my heart. And each time Jesus told him, follow me. He ended it by saying, follow me. And uh, so we find that uh, he restored Peter back into service. Again, giving us encouragement as we go through this life. Many times we fail. We fall short. But yet, Jesus says, follow me. Come back. Just come back and follow me. And it says that uh, uh, it ends uh, with uh, that statement of 
not to worry about what everybody else does. You know, when Peter, uh, the Lord told Peter, follow me, Peter, being Peter, looked around and saw John and said, uh, uh, well, Lord, what about this guy? And the Lord Jesus said, what is that to you? You just follow me. So it resolves us from the uh, responsibility of what other people do. You know, we, though we are concerned with people, though we should pray for people, though we should encourage one another, we are not responsible for the other person's actions or service. We need to focus on following Christ. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but that's enough for me to be concerned with, me following Christ. I, you know, many times we use the other aspect of being concerned with other people as an excuse or reason not to do it ourselves. Well, they're not doing it. They're not going to church. They're not serving. They're not reading the Bible. They're not dot, 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 dot. But we are called to follow Christ individually, uh, personally. So, we're going to, uh, I'm going to begin. Yes, ma'am. Before you leave, John. Okay. That scripture up there is the one that these words are written so that we can be sure. We can be sure of our salvation. I, you made the statement a week or two ago, and Billy Graham has made this statement that 80% was it 80% of the church think they have salvation and they don't. Okay. Well, let's do something about it. Okay. What? I want to be sure. And I've read that and read that and read that. What? What? What am I doing wrong? Well, you. Do you ever doubt your salvation, Don? I don't doubt my salvation, but I, but I do things wrong, and then I feel bad. Well, but everybody does that. But what about those eighty percent? Count eighty percent of people right here in this class. <laughs> well, I remember Fred Lowry making a statement that people in the South mainly joined the church. It really meant a lot to me as a new Christian. And had to be, a, if you were in the obituary without being related to a church, it was a shame. So a lot of people join and never come back. So that's part of the church that probably well, yeah, might back, not be. Yeah, back when it was here, there was eight or 9,000 members. But, but only I'm saying a lot of people just go to church and they just have to the the You can't find it. And they're church members. There's a difference in church roster. Here's the. Putting your name on a church roster is not salvation. I know, but see, that's what he was saying. That's exactly what was kind of like. But then you just wanted your name in that obituary associated with First Baptist vote. You're saying that that 80% is probably taken from a church roster that where people just put their name and say, Yes, we're the 80% probably. So they're probably not like interested in Bible studies, right? You're okay, Tom. You think I'm okay? You don't know those bad thoughts. I 
Here's the bottom Here's the bottom line of it. You know, the scriptures are given. That if we read what the Word of God says about salvation and what Jesus did to accomplish our redemption, the death, burial, and resurrection, and that is who we believe. We we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. His finished work on the cross and His resurrection for our salvation. Then we can have confidence according to John and other Scriptures that we uh, are children of God. The the eighty percent, as was has been uh, indicated, are people that have claimed to be Christians some other way. Uh, I have had people tell me that they've been Christian all their life because grandma and grandpa were Christian and mom and daddy were Christian. I was raised in the church. I've been a Christian all my life. No, not. Uh, I. As Miss Sylvia indicated, they just come down the aisle and join the church just because of the stigma of not belonging to a church uh, and, and not having a, a preacher to be able to say some kind words over you when you're laying in the casket. You know, you'd be surprised how many times. Now that's being changed because you'd be surprised how often somebody calls up churches and says, "Hey, do you have anybody that can officiate a funeral?" Because so and so, my uncle, had died and. Uh, they never did belong to a church, but we need, you know, now they want a preacher. Yeah. You know, or, you know, they, they, they get baptized without understanding the gospel of Christ and trusting Jesus as Savior. They trust in the baptism that they went under for salvation. So, uh, if we read the scriptures, if that's what you're relying on as far as your salvation experience, then you can't have confidence. But if you read the Word of God and you trust and see what Jesus did and you trust Him, then He says, now these are written that you may know that you believe in Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. So the 80% comes from trying to come up some other way. You know, Jesus can, told him it was like a thief and a robber. Sir? Somebody says I do good works. Do good works. Yeah. Well, you we know. used to go on that continuing witness. I'll bring that up, John. You and I. You go on that continuing witness thing that we did with, under First Baptist, <coughs> and we had to ask you. We had that binder. We had to say, "What would you do?" Something about entering to God's heaven or whatever. We had that. We had a whole presentation we had to stick to, mm-hmm. and people said a million things. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Yes. My husband. Well, so there's lots of reasons why people think they're a Christian. Right. We had to counsel people, and we asked the question, why should God let you in heaven? That's the question. And just like he said, oh, I've been a Christian forever. Oh, I am do good things. I give my money. I'm raised in a Christian home. You, Then you have to turn them over to a preacher to, that's not the right answer. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of uh, different understandings of that. But John's Gospel is written so we can have confidence and we can be assured of our salvation experience in Christ uh, as long as we adhere to what the Gospels teach. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, salvation. Believe that Christ uh, that that 
Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Death, burial, resurrection. Believe in your heart that when he died on that cross, he forgave your sin. His blood covered the sin. Believe that he died on the cross as a payment for your sin. Right, yeah, a a propitiation to God. Okay, but without that, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's correct. Okay, he was buried. Most important thing, third day was raised. Without that, there wouldn't be Christianity because it would have faded out. The resurrection of Christ validated his work. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Because He had predicted, He had prophesied Himself at being raised from the dead. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. I'm going to be crucified. But I'm going to be, and I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise again the third day. Had He not rose again the third day, then there would not be any validation to His truth and his claim of being the Messiah. We, Therefore, we have to do something. Sure, no, he did. You do wait, he did. You have to accept it. That's what That's you right. You have to ask forgiveness and accept it. We have to know that and believe that. Yes, he did it for everybody. But what about those 80% that Billy Graham's talking about? You need to tell them. <laughs> You got your work cut out for you, Miss Basically, he did the work. All we got to do is receive. You did the work. That you got to believe. Look, uh, let me see if I can simplify that a little bit for you. I've stirred up a hornet's nest and you're trying to teach it for less. We're trying to save you. Well, if, if we save her, she won't be saved. Don't laugh at You'll get worse. I know this. I know this is not in John. This is in Luke. I want to. I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter twenty-four, the last chapter in Luke. Robert, you got to regain control of it. I'm gonna work on that. And this is just the introduction. Just wait till we get into the lesson. Luke chapter 24. Verse uh, 44. We'll start with verse 44. Luke 24, verse 44. Now the setting is that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, has appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And He he told them, look, it's Me. Uh, It is Me, Jesus. Behold my hands and my feet. And he asked them for something to eat. They ate together. Uh, the resurrected Christ. After he was dead, he raised again. He appeared to them. And the Bible says in, in uh, verse 44 of Luke 24, And he said to them, These are the words which I spake to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and in the Psalms concerning Me. So the Old Testament speaks of Christ. He said, I am the fulfillment of what you know, what you've read, what you're familiar with, the Old Testament writing. And it's all the Old Testament. Not just part of it, but all of it. He includes all of it. The Old Testament. 
the Septuagint was divided into three parts. The Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And he says, all of those speak of me, and I am the fulfillment of everything that was mentioned. Verse 45, he says, Then he opened up their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, "This is uh, It is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name, Jesus' name, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. That is what we need to do for the 80%. We need to point them to the work of Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection, and encourage them to come to repentance uh, in, in faith, trusting His work for their salvation and the the forgiveness of sin. And we are the witnesses of that. We are to be proclaimers of that. And that is the purpose uh, that we hold here in this this life, in this this service. That's our purpose uh, still on earth, basically, primarily. So, does that help? Yes, it helps. But I still worry about those 80% that think they're going to heaven with us. Then you need to start talking to them about this right here. But they got done on butts. You're the witnesses. You know what my friends say at me to me in exercise class. You're judging. We got Catholics and Methodists and Baptists. You're, not You're judging. judging. Jesus is. It's Jesus' words, not yours. Point them to Jesus. And if they don't listen, go to somebody else. They will accept the truth. All right. After you witness, you've done your job. Just pray for them and let God share the gospel. Plant the seed. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Anyone else? All right. We're not going to get into the next part. Now next next week, Lord willing, we're going to begin the setting. Of, of things, you know, Galatians chapter four tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. I want to. It's going to be some. Ron might like this, and they'll probably end up being corrected by him on some of this stuff. But uh, there's going to be some history involved here. We're going to bring things up uh, to where the beginning of the Gospels take place. Why? Why then? Why now? Uh, that kind of thing, you know. There's things had to be certain things had to be put into place for everything to progress and for God to be able to work and and minister or get the gospel out to the known world at that time and how all of it came to be. So that's what we're going to approach next week, and then it may be another week before we actually get into uh, some scripture. Uh, looking at some things, okay? So, let me ask you a question. Of course, it wouldn't matter what you say, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, is this uh, a, a, a line of study that you think might be interesting to you and beneficial to come to know Christ? All right? Good deal. That's a good thing because we're going to be starting it next week again. <laughs> Change if we say no. Okay, repentance. 
know, I feel a touch for more. She wanted to turn around and go the other direction. I could not do it until I had the Holy Spirit in me. And they say, repent. You know, you can repent, you know. The Bible says that there's a measure of faith given to every man. And when we act upon that faith, when we hear the Gospel, we act upon that faith, then that brings us into a conviction, a reality, a realization of our sinfulness inside of a holy and righteous God which should cause us to bring, come to repentance. And it's all the working of the Holy Spirit. No man can come to the Father except he be drawn. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit does a work in the, in the hearts of the individual hearer that hears the Gospel, comes to understand why Jesus died. It was because of our sin, not His sin. Then we come under conviction of that sin. Therefore, we come to a place that we are willing to turn from our sin into a relationship with God. And it's all the drawing and working of the Holy Spirit uh, to help us understand and uh, to do that. But you don't say, okay, I'm going to repent. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in you before you have the power. Well, you have to be under the sound of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit brings to your illumination the truth of those Scriptures to where you come to realize, I need to repent, and this is the reason I need to repent. But the uh, Holy Spirit convicts like, you of your sin. That's but, what I said. But, yeah, I know you did. But David, you don't, David but you said, don't actually have the Holy Spirit in you until you accept Christ. I, I know that. Right. And that's whenever the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. <laughs> but, but you David, have to be knocked you're, you're, down completely. As long, you, as, long as life is good and you going, you going to church every Sunday and everything's righteous and good and everything's rosy-posy in your life, you're not so convicted until you are knocked down. When does that happen? When you go through a heart... When, when is the rosy posy thing? Here's the bottom line. Nothing is going to happen until the Word of God is presented and the Gospel is, is given. The Holy Spirit works through the Word of God and the Gospel. And everything He does thereafter to penetrate our heart and bring us into a relationship with the living God takes place because of that and then He comes in this Are you sure you want to continue this particular study? Yes. Are you sure? Right now, right now I'm sure that I want to pray and dismiss us. <laughs> I, was a, I went to a Catholic service and after the service, you know, they said and they're now, one thing they say, repent and be baptized. Well, after the fact, I go get in a debate with Frank with the father. And so that was, you know, that's just the Catholic Church. Yeah, well, a lot of people have differences of opinion concerning what the Bible says. That's why John says, he ends his with, if you, these are written, these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in Him you might have eternal life. Go back to the Word of God and take what God says over what man says regardless of their title or their position. Thus saith the Lord. Y'all have heard me stress that ever since I've been teaching. 
It's thus saith the Lord. It's not thus saith Robert. That and $5 might get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But thus saith the Lord, that carries weight. Okay? So let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray that You'll just be with us as we study. Guide us, Lord, and help us to come to know You better, to understand Your ways, Your will, Your Word. And Lord, I pray that as we go into the, the, the service today, that You'll bless the singing, the praise, the worship, and the preaching of the truths of Your Word. Lord, I pray that You'll speak to every heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.